1: Off to a good rolling style. Nobody particularly making a move except uh, Rob Wilson, a number 111, beginning to work his way up through the traffic. He started well back in the back, coming through the... Seven. That could be a really dangerous one, but they all come through very well on the first trip around the track. A short straightaway from them, and then uh, into turn number eight. One the American flag, making good moves here. From turn number eight into the 180-degree turn. Of the American Grand Prix. We begin into turn number one. And take out for those S turns. The back cars off and the a chance to begin to maneuver, even though they're in these dangerous S turns. This is Brian Johnson of ACDC and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
0: Into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com. And you can see us live here in the studio in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, golfstreammotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And don't forget, if you missed any of our past shows, 380 plus shows now. Seven and a half years. Been on there for a while. Don't forget to check out our podcast or slash archive page. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Golfstream Motorsports. At NRC on Air, if you follow us on Twitter and Instagram is Gulfstream Motorsports. Gulfstream Motorsports, I think so. My son would be very proud of me because now I'm learning all this social media stuff. Anyway, hey, I want to welcome everybody. Tommy, how are you doing this evening? Rocking and rolling, Robert. 380 shows, wow. Yeah, three, actually, uh, I had 379 on there. I'm down, I still have two more shows to put on. Of course, tonight's 383. And I also want to welcome to the show this evening, my good friend and old buddy and racer, musician and everything else, author John Starkey. John, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, thank you, Robert. How are you? Pretty good. So uh, we're going to have a good show because we're going to talk about cars, music, guitars, instruments, all kinds of stuff. So uh, pretty much John is uh, well known in the racing car world, but the uh, early in his early days he was uh, involved in the musical world back in, uh, in the old country, in the UK. So John, tell us a little bit about... Uh, Some of the early days and some of the music and some of the people that you opened up for.
2: Uh, The most notable one was the Beatles. That was in 1963 on their first tour around the British dance halls. And uh, when I heard the screaming when they came on, I knew it was the end of the old rock and roll. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, your last name is Starkey. So is... Ringo Starr.
2: Ah, yes. Is well, there any
0: connection? Is there is of?
2: There is a connection there. I haven't seen him for about 18 years, but yep, there's a connection there. Really? That's yep.
0: amazing. Wow. <laughs> I'm honored. I'm honored. <laughs>
2: in fact, well, so you we, should be.
0: Yeah, okay, good. So, what? now, were you a musician
2: yourself, too, as well? Yep, I played guitar, and uh, so I was in this band called Ronnie and the Senators, and we were at uh, Omar Regan's Dance Halls uh, in Birmingham, and it was... Uh, the, uh, the old plaza and the Ritz, and uh, I remember it very, very well indeed because, of course, it was just uh, the Beatles breaking out, the girls were screaming. It was no doubt who was going to be the next wave of entertainment.
0: Now, l- let's put a timeline there. So the early 60s, the Beatles. So this would have been around 61, 62? This something?
2: was 63. 63? Back in the 62, it might have been. Okay. I, my memory's not that good, but it was 63, I think. Okay,
0: yeah. now what other notable English band? Now, was Eric Burden, was he coming on, the Animals? Were uh, they... they came along later.
2: Okay. Um, we were on the same bill as them about another year, year and a half later. Uh, but this time with the Beatles, it was just the two bands just reopened and... The girls really were very bored with us, you know. You could, you, could see, you could see that that they were waiting for the main act.
0: I gotcha. I gotcha. Now you know, there's some other English acts that were around in the late '50s that were kind of before the Beatles, like Cliff Richard.
2: Oh God, yeah, Cliff so, Richard in the shadows.
0: What were yeah. the kind of the early influences? You know, like were you guys? Were you guys influenced by American musicians, or oh, was totally, it totally, absolutely,
2: bro. and completely? Yeah, I mean, there was no other. There was no English music. It all started off with what was called a skiffle, which I suppose you know was folk music dressed up, and uh, then that developed into Cliff Richard and the Shadows was the first real pop band in England of the Beat era. That was what 58, 59. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there was a bit of a a bit of a lull, really. You could say, although there were some maniac bands around, like Screaming Lord Such, who used to appear in a flaming coffin and fall off the stage and all that sort of thing. Uh, and it was it was a very good time for young musicians. I mean, uh, I was uh, I was living in Birmingham at the time where I'd been born. And I think at that time there was something like 70 to 80 beat groups in Birmingham alone, just the one city. I mean, they were on every street corner, you know. I mean, it was... uh, And the musicians, I mean, think about it. From Birmingham, you got Jeff Lynne. He was in a group called the Idle Race. He went on to ELO. You uh, had a, a, a f- I'll never forget going to uh, the Eagle and Hill Street, the Eagle Pub, right, in Hill Street in Birmingham, to watch a group called the Spencer Davis Group. Um, and they had a 14-year-old kid playing and singing for them. And when he started singing, he sounded like a 70-year-old black man. It was just an amazing, amazing sound. Because they went on to fame and fortune. His name was Stevie Winwood.
0: Stevie Winwood, Traffic, yes, yes, yes. Now, so the musical influence was was it kind of bluesy? Was it uh, because and what's interesting is a lot of the British musicians were almost classical trained, and then they morphed into. Blues, rock and roll, right? They did. I mean, you. I mean, the classical
2: example was Led Zeppelin's lead guitarist, um, Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page sort of went and bought blues records and listened to that. We got it secondhand, really, because because we were listening to Elvis and uh, and then Cliff Richard, really. So we, we did all the covers and covered their records, and of course Buddy Holly, the Everly Brothers, and people like that. I think people forget that after that initial burst of rock and roll in the late 50s, mid to late 50s, it all sort of sank away until the Beatles brought it all back again. It fell into people like Frankie Avalon and sort of. They were really just dressed up, sm- smoochy singers. Uh-huh. But then, boom, along
0: came the Beatles
2: and it all changed again.
0: The Stones. Yeah. Well, now, they came. What, about a year or two later? And their music was a little mm. bit different, and they were kind of more like the bad boys of rock and roll type feel? Is that Ver- right?
2: Very much, but think about it. I would have said... Thinking back on it, more or less, the Beatles. I just said the Stones were only a few months later than the Beatles. Okay. I think. I mean, I think the Stones really traded on the on the fact that the Beatles had made it. And hey, if they've made it, why can't we? Mm-hmm. I think that's. I think that's what happened. I'm sure music historians will correct me. But
0: yeah. So when you talk about how there was all these bands around yep. back in the early yep. '60s and yep. so here in the United States, and I grew up in Northern California, so we had what we called garage bands. Mm-hmm. So everybody had an instrument or two, or drums mm-hmm. or guitars or whatever. So everybody kind of beat on instruments. And and, 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 and it's actually kind of a cult, the 60s garage music, mm-hmm. so, or garage rock bands. So what would be the counterpart in England? What would your name have been for people with <laughs> similar garage bands? And you kind of touched on that. Uh, every street corner, uh, there was a band. Well, at that time, after the
2: beat thing sort of went away, in the, in, the, in the late 60s or early 70s, then you got punk rock in England. That okay. that was what really surged to the to the forefront. With, oh God, I wish I could remember names, but I can't. But I mean, the king of them all just sort of trashed everything in sight, didn't they? And uh-huh. what was it? God save the! Didn't they do a version of God save the Queen that rocketed to number one? And
0: I can't remember because it really was a <laughs> punk. It's an awful long time yeah, ago. Yeah. <laughs> um so okay so like we had Fenders and Gibsons and yep. occasionally you might get a Gretchen. and yep. somebody might play a Rickenbacker over here but now you guys in Europe you played Rickenbackers Scratches, Goyas, what other type of guitars? God.
2: Uh, Burns was a favorite maker. Burns? Uh, Yep, Burns was an English copy of a Fender Stratocaster. Okay. So we couldn't afford Fenders and Gibbs. Most of us couldn't afford Fenders and Gibsons because the English had purchase tax at that time. So more or less it would have cost you twice the price of what you were paying over here. Uh So we couldn't afford that. So you went in for things like Burns, which were homegrown guitars. They were quite good, actually. Were they
0: made in England then? They were made
2: in England, okay. yes. And actually, how- I think, to be absolutely correct, they were probably made in Germany but imported into
0: England, okay. I think but I'm not sure. Hoffner, Hefner, yep. which Hoffner. was, yep. they made a lot of guitars, and the yep. Tesco, well no, that's, you, you,
2: and, you always, sorry, you always knew if somebody had really made it in the musician's trade in England because they had a Gibson or a Fender. Oh
0: really? Oh, that was
2: like, oh wow, look what he's got, oh he's got a Gretsch, oh God, he's got a white falcon, oh my God, he must be famous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Interesting. So then, when did you make the transition from music to cars? Now, I remember there was a story about you and your TDF, And that was probably in the 60s sometime, right? But so when did you – were you always a car guy? uh, uh,
2: Yes. Uh, Well, no, in all honesty. I wasn't a car guy until I went in that Tour de France when I was 18 years old. That changed my life. So I loved cars from then on. Uh, but I think most musicians have got a real love of cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> look at Brian Johnson; he's a classical example, isn't he? And Nick Mason. And Nick Mason, yeah. Eric Clapton. You, you've got Jimmy it. They, they all like their cars, don't they? Uh-huh. And uh, what is it? The noise of the noise of the car equates to the sound of a wailing guitar, or
0: something like that. Could be. Now yeah. you got you take. It's funny how we talk about the differences. Like look at Jeff Beck. So he's in the hot rods. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Harrison, Clapton, and Mason. They're into mm-hmm. refined European sports yeah. cars—Ferraris, Maseratis, yeah. Aston Martins, and yeah. things like that. Mm-hmm. And then Brian Johnson is one of the few guys. Well, besides Nick Mason, actually races. Yeah, that's right. Well,
2: it's probably an insurance thing, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> oh, um,
0: um, the guy from uh, Dire Straits—he's also. Oh, a race. Mark Knopfler. Mark Knopfler.
2: Yes, he's good. Have you
0: met any of these guys now? now Brian, um, I know you know.
2: I, I, I met Eric Clapton when he had a tour de France way back in the seventies. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was—he was, he, he was, he was quite—he uh, was a nice guy. He was probably stoned at the time, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent guitars and oh, loves, yeah. and, and good tasting cars. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you talk about the Beatles now. George Harrison, yep, was definitely a race fan. And he was.
2: Do you remember he wrote that song "Winning"? No, Faster, wasn't it? Faster. Faster, that's right, which was dedicated to Jackie Stewart, the Formula One world champion. Yeah.
0: So what other notable celebrities have crossed your path in your travels? Now, either through racing, through music, or through some of the amazing (laughs) books that you've written. Oh, let me see now. Um, Well, I've had i
2: mm, I've had lunch with quite a few celebrities who seem to have ended up in jail, but I don't think <laughs> we need to talk about that. <laughs> no, we don't have to those guys so. But the ones that were in the cars and music and, and I, stuff. I, uh, for, for 18 years of my misspent life, I managed a fellow called Jasper Carrots, who was a, a comedian in England who did very well indeed. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, quick little story. Um, in the 18 years that I managed him, I tossed it up once and worked out that he'd made 18 million pounds. Wow. So, oh, oh, yeah, he did very well. Top of the Pops and all that sort of stuff, plus writing books and stage shows. Stage mm-hmm.
0: shows pay, you know. So stage shows, that like live comedy? Yep, live, live comedy. Okay. Yeah,
2: he would do concerts to between two and 3,000 people and do 100 of those a year. Wow. Oh, that works, yeah. Is it any wonder that all the old bands have gone back on the road because they've lost their money from royalties, from um, music, because because everybody live streams everything and so forth. So the way they make money is going back on the road.
0: Well, now, it's interesting that you brought that up because um, we had a musician on here not too long ago. I think it was Mark Farner from Grand Funk, and he mm-hmm. was saying that. He says, you know, mm-hmm. because of royalties and, and the mm-hmm. fact that people don't buy records that much, mm-hmm. that they actually have to go tour. Now here they're in their 60s and they're touring to <laughs> yes. kind of maintain a lifestyle that they were kind of accustomed to, but not necessarily exuberant, <laughs> just, you know, uh, comfortable. And it's 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 taking a toll on a lot of those guys, you know. Cause
2: well, well, if you think about it, in their twenties, they used to throw television sets out of hotel windows. Now it's as much as they can do to throw a bread roll out of the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, so Jasper did all these tours and he made a lot of money, and then um, he retired, and he just got fed fed up of it, and he got enough money, and he got bored after a year. So uh, he started a television production company. And the first show they made was his idea, and it was called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Seriously? Yeah. made oh, him was... one, It made him one of the top
0: 500 richest people in Britain. No kidding. Mm-hmm. And then did that. so that show actually started in Europe first and then came yeah. over here? Yep. Interesting. Yeah. And that, isn't that the one that Regis Philbus did or something like that? Gee, I don't know. I don't follow did it. it over here. But... Tommy, you remember it was a Regis... Okay, so Regis Philbus did it over here. Interesting. Okay. Um, talking about TV show and comedians and mm-hmm. car guys, uh, the guys from Top Gear in England. Do you oh, know yes. any of those guys? And what's your thoughts on them? <laughs> um, Jeremy Clarkson. Okay,
2: Jeremy Clarkson is a very good writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's great. I think he's rude, arrogant, offensive, and it all works.
0: It all works. Well, he's got the right demeanor for it, yeah. but he, he doesn't. He presents it well. You know, yeah. it's not like he's he's not malice malicious about it. It's just it's, no, it comes it, across. Yeah. It, well, it comes across kind of natural. Yeah, I think
2: I think that he does. Uh, but as I say, he's a very good writer. You listen mm-hmm. to the way that he puts sentences together and so forth. And uh, he, he makes it like all good artists. He makes it look easy, but I'm sure he's been out on the side scribbling notes down and trying mm-hmm. to you know think about how to do it.
0: Yeah, they're good. Let's go. Uh, what do we got? What, what, did, what do we got queued up on the turntable here? We're going to George little... Harrison. Oh, absolutely. Speaking of this, you know, we should play the song faster. Oh, absolutely! Yes. See if you can find George Harrison faster, and then we can. Uh, since we're talking about cars, and then when we come back, what we'll do is we'll have John tell us a little bit about how he got involved in writing books, and what because you're talking money. about money, money. Okay, well, that's 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 a little bit of a motivator. But I mean, cars. I mean, I got this amazing book here, and it's what 500 some odd pages, a book on Lolas. Yep. And 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 for all you guys out there that have tuned in, you know, there's three absolutely incredible race cars out of the '60s, Lola. And Ford, I would think the GT are probably neck and neck, but Alola is actually a prettier car. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to admit that. Mm -hmm. And then the Ford GT, and then, of course, the Porsche 917, the swoopy one, uh, not the the 917. I forget which model it is. But anyways, we got that song queued up. Okay, hey, you're tuning into the Seltzer Green Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with uh, my special guest, John Starkey and Tommy. And here's a little George Harrison and the song called Faster, dedicated to Jackie Stewart, right? Yep. eventually guitar. hey we're back and you're tuning into nostalgic of in cars and the mic was on right The right, Tommy <laughs> so, so anyway uh, yeah John and I were talking a little bit about how uh, how when we were kids or when we were younger how we uh, started playing mu- you know musical instruments so i was 8 right. when i first started playing but I, the guitar that i had which i still have by the way is slightly a uh, little on the cumbersome side so now i have smaller guitars i actually p- practice with a bulky acoustic only because with, with high action, just to kind of learn and practice and do the scales and stuff like that. And obviously what you do is you you want instant gratification, so you practice licks, you know, so I do that. <laughs> and, uh, of course, One Way Out is one of my favorite ones because that was a tough one. And, and you got to move your fingers real quick. And I don't use a pick. I actually use my fingers. Oh, good so, for
2: you. So another Mark Knopfler.
0: Yeah, I guess, yeah. And uh, there's a couple other people that are notable guys that don't use picks. But, but it's hard. But the, when you go... Hang out with some people. They all use picks, and they say you should use a pick. But the problem is, is it's it's a technique too. So mm. when when you started playing, what what? How old were you when you first started playing? I was thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, most of us started either you know somewhere real young or teenage, less what? than puberty. Less than puberty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We were talking a little bit about writing because you were talking about Jeremy Clarkson, how good of a writer he is, and and you've written, I think, five really amazing books. So the one that I have in front of me is the Lola T seventy story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how this came to fruition is because I'm actually appraising a uh, a Lola right now, uh, two of them, one's a T-286 and one's a T-70. So tell us a little bit how you got into writing. What was the inspiration for the writing? I mean, is it something that oh, you've got all this knowledge in your head and it's like, wow, I'm just carrying it around. Why don't I make it to good use and print it and then maybe I can get it published and then maybe I can sell it and then maybe I can... Monetize it, right? Is that how that works? Um, Back in the 80s, I
2: used to race a Porsche RSR, uh, which I thought was, and still think was just a great car to drive. And I saw around me uh, all these other people saying, oh, well, Ferrari GTOs are just fantastic. They're the greatest car in the world. So I thought I would defend the Porsche. So I wrote a book about Porsche mm. RSRs, and amazingly enough, it's going to be reprinted next year by my old English publishing company. They are, they are, uh, they are strange people. <laughs> um, so, how, so that was how I really got into it, and then I, did, and I was lucky enough to have the Ferrari Tour de France, so I did a book on those. And then I got, 1997, I got called up by um, Chris Rennick who uh, knows more about old Rolls-Royces and Bentleys than anybody I've ever met. And Chris was an Englishman of the upper crust who had moved to California, and he was in San Diego working for Symbolic Motor Car Company. And he said, if you want to come over here, I'll pay all your expenses. I won't pay you, but you can live on my boat while you write a book that I want done. So I went, yeah, Okay. So I came to America and I didn't leave.
0: Interesting. Mm, Interesting. Yeah, so I, think the, I think the immigration people are after me. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Who wrote the song Immigration Song? That's a Led Zeppelin <laughs> tune, right? Okay. Might have to play that one later, the Immigration <laughs> Song. No, seriously, seriously. We did become citizens, honest. honest.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. So so Symbolic is actually mm. one of the more well known mm. v- car dealers. Yeah, but high car end cla- yeah. classic car dealers out yeah. of Southern California. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
2: It was a great experience. Um, they were. Uh, Yes, I I just thoroughly enjoyed working there. It was uh, they they just sort of got these cars. There would be a GTO one morning and that afternoon there'd be a Bentley Continental and then a Porsche 917 would arrive and and Bernie who ran the place would say, "What do you know about this dude?" and I'd go, "Uh, well, it's 917043." And he'd go, "Too long, dude. Next." <laughs> <laughs> so, he sent me over to Porsche to go and find out a various 917s that they had through their hands.
0: Uh, You mean the Porsche factory? Yeah. Oh, really? So you got a chance to
2: hang out with some of those guys over there then? Um, I knew Jürgen Barth anyway, who was the head of customer racing. And so I've always dealt with him. And he's always been very, very helpful. I mean, that guy's just, you know, I mean, he won Le Mans. um, But, I mean, he started out as being basically in the customer racing department from 1970 and then running it by 1971 and until he retired a few years ago.
0: So been there, done that, seen it all. Okay. So how did it come that you started racing Porsches? I mean, what uh, what got you into the racing thing? And was it professional uh, or was no, it more no, club no, racing? No,
2: it was just fun. It was just, uh, you know, start with a large fortune and finish with a small one sort okay. of thing. Okay. Uh, you know how that goes. And, uh, no, I was lucky in that um, I... I found this RSR at a hill climb in England, uh, being driven by a lady. She was pretty quick, and I really just liked the car. I didn't know much about Porsches, but I can remember going up and saying, that's really nice, and she said, yes, it's for sale. And I said, oh, how much do you want? Okay. <laughs> so I finished up buying it. I also bought from her husband the Lola T70 that I later raced as
0: well. So There's a picture, and it might be in this book. Of you sitting in a Lola cockpit, right? And uh, probably that car. Okay, interesting. So now, back in those days, were mm. these cars very expensive? Still, relatively speaking. No, no, no. I remember I paid fifteen
2: thousand pounds for the RSR. Today, it's two million dollars. And I can remember vividly being in, there was probably, we raced in Porsche versus Ferrari events, Intermark events, where you were Porsche, Ferrari, AC, Aston Martin and Jaguar. And I can remember being in the paddock one day waiting to go out. And one of the guys said in quite a loud voice, you know, one day these cars will all be worth a million. We we laughed him out of town. And now look at it. Now look at it. He was wrong. (laughs)
0: But were two million. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the okay. So the Porsche RSR. So the Porsche you you were attracted to because it was a cool car. But you had a Ferrari mm. TDF before that, which is a very beautiful yep. car. Yep. Now the book that you wrote was that just strictly on TDFs or yes. was it on the 250 series in general?
2: I later on wrote another book on uh, Ferrari streetcars and another one on the race cars. But the TDF really was uh, a work of love because I loved those cars.
0: Yeah. So the, but so the TDF which stands for Tour de France yes. was it originally intended to be a like a road race car is that what, and hence it, TDF because they won a race or two? or something They like? won the Tour de France, I think. Ferrari uh, did. Yeah. 56, 57, 58,
2: 59. I mean, they just carried on winning it with that 250 series. Mm-hmm. So the Tour de France was d- just the version that was built between, what, 56 and 59, I think. Okay. And the short wheelbase came along in 1960. But I just always loved the cars. So. That was why i liked it so much and that's why i wrote the book about them and they they, what did they make about a hundred cars and they each one of them was raced to pieces i mean they were all nobody used them on the street in those days you were if you had and if you had one in those days they were three times the price of an e-type jaguar wow they were six thousand dollars that's true and a Jaguar was about two two three yeah. yeah
0: That's amazing. There wasn't
2: that much of a difference in performance, though.
0: Oh, really? <laughs> Not really. You, we were talking a couple days ago about the Aston Martin, because you said mm. you owned a, a DB4 GT at one I point did. in time, which yeah. is a beautiful car. And you compared that to the Ferrari. Now, is it was it the... You said that the... And, and I've driven a DB4 before, so it's kind of a heavy road car, mm-hmm. and I've driven a... And the only other Ferrari I drove was... I drove the Maserati 3500, and I drove a... 365 GTB plus two like the 69 mm-hmm. queen mother Queen mother, so yeah. those are kind of like heavy road mm-hmm. cars mm-hmm. and so are you saying that the tdf was a much more agile car absolutely than B- was it a okay. much lighter car
2: all the way around steering if it was lighter braking was lighter gear changing was much better just a better car mm-hmm. yeah i kept the four gt for about six months and i just thought you know it's just a bit of a truck really <laughs> really yeah honestly
0: and and yeah, that that's my opinion of it. I mean, hey <laughs> No, that's okay, that's okay. You, you, yeah. But so but it was Italian bodied basically. I mean Superleggera or actually you you're right, touring. Touring. Yeah. Touring Carrosseria Tor Torino, or something <laughs> like however which you say it in Italian. And um And super just means super light. Super light, exactly. Yeah. Translated, exactly. Yeah. So then the, uh, now when, when you, when you did that, so did you ever race professionally or was it all more of a, like, um, amateur GT sport vintage yeah, racing? The latter. Yeah. The latter? Yeah. Nobody would pay me. Nobody <laughs> would okay, but but through the eighties and nineties, you mm-hmm. raced some pretty serious cars. Tell us about some of the cars that you yeah got I was very lucky. Um, well, I raced a
2: Porsche nine thirty five for a year. Um, that was pretty scary, but I don't think it was ever set up properly. Uh-huh. Uh, then I got into Lola T seventies, and I just absolutely loved them. So I raced uh, I raced one two. I raced a couple of them for probably four years. Really liked them. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Really good handling, no bad things about him at all. And, of course, that <laughs> the first the first time I drove a T-70, I can remember coming back in the pits and saying, you know, I've raced Ferraris and I've raced Porsches, but this Chevy engine beats them into a cocked hat. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that talk. Really? Yeah.
0: The Tell us about the Lola Limp. You were telling me about that oh, the other day. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, is, it's a characteristic the, <laughs> of the Lola 270, correct? I, I, I think it was
2: quite a lot of Lolas. The bottom wishbone um, of the front suspension went through the cockpit right underneath the driver's leg. And so if you had a really bad accident, you usually finished up getting torpedoed through the ankle by the wishbone as it broke. Ouch. So uh, there were a few people who uh, walked around the paddock with the limp, and it was called
0: the Lola limp. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I like that. That's good. Mm. So... Now, the Lola in general, the T70, mm. which is an absolutely remarkable car, is it? Is, is it, you know, in terms of you're out there in that car, and that's a 200 plus mile an hour car, easily. I, I was timed at 192 at Monza once, yeah. At Monza? Mm. Oh, wow, you got the race there? Oh, one. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, tell us about some of the other tracks now, some of the European, wait a minute, did you ever do the 24-hour the classic at Le Mans? I did, yes,
2: Um uh, about 2006 In another RSR That belongs to a friend of mine But it ran out of gas On the last lap
0: Oh <laughs> Oh That had to hurt that, that was So what was it like Actually I mean you raced Monza That was an, That's an amazing track That is the Italian mm.
2: Grand Prix track Yeah It's not a very difficult track But it's fast It's yeah. fast
0: Yeah Unfortunately It's claimed the lives Of a number of mm, Jochen Rindt, yeah. Senna Yeah I think No and,
2: Senna was killed At Misano, uh,
0: Misano Wasn't it Imola. He was killed at Imola, yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, but uh, so but Monza is uh, is it's fast. It's a fast mm. track, okay. Mm. Yeah. So like when you're when you're out there and we were talking about this earlier, I was talking about some of the drivers, the European mindset versus the American mindset when you're <laughs> yes. when you're driving. Yeah. So when you're over there racing vintage in Europe versus yeah. racing Americans, over here, do you notice any difference in drivers? And you drivers? know,
2: I don't honestly. I just think the the blokes who've come to win have come to win. It doesn't matter what nationality they are, okay. they're of a breed, aren't they? I always say if you get about twenty or thirty drivers in a race, there's one that's come to win, there's the next nine will be happy to finish in the top ten, and the rest will be just be happy to finish. That's how it is. And sometimes you get two guys who really want to win and then it's, you know, look out.
0: Would it be fair to say that vintage racing has become fiercer oh, in yeah, the last yeah, decade yeah. or two?
2: Uh, you just got to take a look at Goodwood every year. I mean, it's, yeah, people, people. it's got much, much tougher now.
0: Tell us about Goodwood. Now, that's like the... I've only been there to watch. Oh, you've only okay. been there to watch? Yeah, okay, so I you haven't,
2: haven't raced there. But just watching it makes you think, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, they're serious.
0: How about Brands Hatch? Have you ever raced there?
2: Yeah, I've raced at Brands Hatch several times. Um, Really great circuit, both the short circuit and the Grand Prix circuit. Really, just uphill, down dale, and good corners as well. That's just a great circuit to drive, yeah.
0: Now, Um, there's a track on the Isle of Man that's known for motorcycles. Do they do car racing
2: there as well? They do. They do the classic classic Isle of Man race. I think it's every year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did it in a Hotted Up XK120 once. Oh, really? uh, Yeah, it was good. It was good. The, there is a – there is a, if, if anybody wants a plug here, there was um, a motorbike racer called Joey Dunlop. Have you heard of
0: him? Uh, the name rings a bell. It was a well-known British race car driver? Ba- Irish. I, I, okay, Irish. motorcycle racer back yeah, in the day. and he won the Isle of Man six or seven times.
2: And um, there's a video of him uh, where he's got a camera in the car from the – seven in the, in the headlight from the 70s, headlamp. Yeah, And uh, he's commentating over the resulting film, and he's saying things like, uh, "Ah, now, well, here you take this corner at about 124 miles an hour, and there's a house on the outside, and sometimes you have to rub your helmet along the wall, but you have to be very careful. (laughs) 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 Oh, Oh, yeah.
0: Uh, Speaking of Island Man, uh, the name that comes to mind is John Surtees. Mm. Now, John Surtees also had a connection with Lola. Yep. And I believe you actually knew John Surtees back in the day, right? Um, I met him a couple of times. Yes,
2: I mean, obviously, he was a professional race driver. He knew what he was doing. Uh, But he was Lola's first actual works driver. Mm -hmm. And he won the Can-Am. I think it was a 66. Yeah. Okay. He won the Can-Am in a Lola T70 for them. Uh, a very good driver yeah, and he was world champion on t- he was the only person who's been world champion on two wheels and four yes that's okay. right yeah. now
0: his time when he raced the Isle of Man races, which is well known which mm. is where he set records and mm. stuff that was he late 50s early 60s and then he that got was car? that was late 50s and then he got into car racing okay. about
2: what 59, 60 I'm guessing mm-hmm. yeah and, okay uh, on these books that you wrote did you collaborate with anybody? Uh, this last one, I collaborated with, um, with a Scottish guy called Franco huh. That's a good Scottish name, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, sounds um, Italian. It is. Yeah, I think his dad was in the uh, Glasgow ice cream business. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, Franco is just the most, amazing, uh, the most amazing guy for seeking out detail about various cars on the Internet. It's just amazing. I mean, you dig stuff up. Like, you know. Did
0: you know Harry Bloggs had porridge for breakfast on November the 2nd? Oh, did he really? Like <laughs> <it? Right. laughs> so to put together a book like this, this was 500 and some odd pages, yeah. and it's very, yeah. very interesting, very, very detailed. And I read the foreword a little bit there. So you talk about Eric Broadley, mm. who was the founder of, of, uh, of Lola. Of Lola. Yeah. Yeah. So to, to, to compile all this information and to get this book to, let's say, to the public, mm-hmm. How long of a time? How long of a time and process is that?
2: I think that one took us about eighteen months. Eighteen months. Yeah, but it, it's what I love about doing these sort of books is that you get to talk to the people who were there at the time, mm-hmm. and so they really tell their own story. You just got to ask the right questions, or walk away thinking, "Damn, I should have asked him
0: about so and so." Okay, so you're not the only one that does that. So well, well
2: got, don't we all? Like, yes. Yeah.
0: Well, now this book's dedicated kind of partially to Eric Broadley.
2: He was a great man. He died only a few months ago. And um, he was, yes, I mean, he came along at that time when uh, people like Colin Chapman for Lotus were around in the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eric wasn't a, Eric was a, a chartered surveyor, uh, but he just loved. Uh, racing cars and he built his own racing car in his garage and went racing. he was quite quick I think mm-hmm. straight away, but he swiftly realized that his forte lay in actually designing the cars and having somebody else drive them for him.
0: So tell but, us the connection between the Lola and the 4GT. It's, um, an, it's early on. In the yeah,
2: book. in about 1963, 64, Ford decided they wanted to go motor racing big time. But more importantly, they decided they wanted to rub Enzo Ferrari's nose in the dust because they tried to buy Ferrari and he turned them down. Mm-hmm. Um, so they went to um, they went to Lola, which I think at the time might have employed three people mm-hmm. uh, they, around the back of a Bromley housing suburb. And Mm -hmm. seriously and um, they they uh, they did a deal with Eric to design them a to design them a GT car that would win Le Mans and because Eric had previously made a car called the Mark 6 which uh, had surprised everybody at Le Mans by turning up and uh, he put a Ford 289 in it uh, and it was it crashed halfway through the night but that didn't belied the fact that the car was very fast. Mm-hmm. So Ford contracted with uh, Eric, and uh, he developed the Ford GT40
0: for them. Your thoughts on the Ford 289 motor, which there's a lot of good write-ups about them, versus mm. the small-block Chevrolet. Now, granted, the displacement on the Chevrolet was a little bit bigger, but... Mm. The, between it wasn't to begin with. It, well, yeah, it was 283 so, yeah. and 289, then it was 302 and then three. Yeah. I, I,
2: I don't think I, I, there are so many variants in the sizes of these mm-hmm. these engines I don't think there was much to, to I can't think that there was too much to choose between the two Engines was there? I, I mean the GT40 what had five liter engines in yeah, 68, 60, mm-hmm. 67, 68 um, They're still Fords. So they just bored and stroked 289s I think yeah, mm-hmm. and they won so that you can't argue with that
0: can No, you? you can't argue with success. No Now, the the connection between Lotus and Cosworth Mm. and the Cosworth design head, because some of those motors, they were like 3-liter engines, small V8s, and they used those in the F1 motors, and they also used them in some of the GT cars. Mm. So, your thoughts on those? Fantastic engines.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Keith Duckworth was a genius, wasn't he, the guy who designed them? Uh, he designed the DFV for a hundred thousand pounds, which is just be blotting paper these days, wouldn't it? I mean, when you comes to designing a racing engine and he went on for what, 20, 30 years? Till the late 70s. Yeah. To, yeah. Uh, well, actually, variants of the DFV went into Group C cars in the and GTP cars in the 80s as well. Spices. That's right. Yeah, they did. Um, fantastic engines, Cosworth. Yeah, they're really good. Um, they, funny enough... You and I were talking about the Nissan R90 Group mm-hmm. C cars. <clears throat> they employed a Japanese copy of a Cosworth DFE. I, ne- I never used to believe that until I saw one and really looked at one closely.
0: So the three liter Nissan, Nissan liter, motor three is liter three liter copy
2: the, the the three liter um, Nissan Nissan V8 yes, written with twin turbocharged is a copy of the DFE. Oh really? Cosworth DFE, yeah.
0: Well, you know, they always said the Japanese, if you give them something, they can copy it, and then they make it better. (laughs) Oh, they certainly did make it better, yes. Yeah, they did, yeah. Well, like you talk about the the Nissan GTP, so from 84, 85, 86, 87, it was a very competitive car, but in 89, 88, they basically dethroned Porsche.
2: Oh, yeah. What was it? They won eight straight races in Imsa. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So 88, 89, <laughs> 90. Mm. And then, now, have you, had, have you had the opportunity to drive a, a real bonafide GTP car, like a, like a Nissan GTP or a
2: 962 Porsche? I drove, um, I, I drove a, a Spice GTP car at Daytona for that 24 minute warm up years ago, but the wheel fell off. Um, <laughs> wheel <laughs> <laughs> that was quite interesting. Um, Front or rear wheel? It was the front wheel came off. Oh, okay. Yeah, Um, but we were okay. Uh, And then uh, I tried an R89 at uh, Silverstone
0: years ago. Uh, What a lovely car. Superb. Which one's this? An R89, the Group C car. Which but whose car was that? R eighty nine. Who made that? Nissan. A, oh, it was a Nissan? Yeah. R eighty nine. The Group C cars. Yeah. Okay, so that would be comparable to a nine fifty six Porsche, then? A nine sixty two. Nine sixty two. Yep. Okay. Yeah,
2: and I have in a nine sixty two as well in just a test session. The Nissan was far superior.
0: Was it really hmm. in terms of handling, performance, motor, or what aspect of it?
2: Um, a or, much easier car to drive. A much a much more Hmm. A, 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 a much smoother civil car, yeah. Okay. A, just a, just a suit. Mind you, with this stuff, when you really think about it, it's going to be down to the guy in the cockpit. So you know, I probably wasn't trying more than six or seven tenths. These guys, the professionals, would be running, you know, eight Ten or tenths. nine tenths. Yeah. Really trying. That's when you'd really find out. But if you look at the record of, of, I mean, the, the Nissan cars. The Nissan Group C cars in 89 and 90 were really fast. They were a top three car, but they never got the teams right. Something didn't quite go right with the team, so they never actually won Le Mans, which was a shame. So Mazda beat them to it.
0: Hmm. The Nissan GTP car...
2: Was, was, was the total opposite. A great team and a very well-developed car.
0: That, and that car was based on the Lola 810, correct? Yeah. Yep. So the nine sixty two Porsche <laughs> yep. was based was that all Porsche or who built the chassis on that one?
2: Wow. Uh, first of all, Porsche built the chassis on 962s, 956s and 962s. But as time went on, they became known as a bit of a flexi-flyer. Okay. So then they got uh, Thompson in England, built a honeycomb chassis for them. And then after that, Fabcar built quite a few chassis at the end of the Porsche production run. And, of course, uh, was it Dave Klimm, I think, did some. Uh, Holbert had some made as well. Uh-huh. So, I mean, there were numerous people building chassis for 962s. And six twos at the end of the run. Really, the, the the Porsche stuff would have been the running gear, wouldn't it? And the right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, did Lola? Were there ever
0: any Porsche-powered Lolas?
2: There were, and uh, you've really floored me. I know that there were, but I can't think of See, what. I they can't were.
0: think of any either. I mean, no. I know I've seen March sure with Porsche engines yeah. in them. I've yeah. seen a Spice. Yep, with a Porsche engine in it. Yeah. Obviously, the DP car, the Daytona prototypes, yes. came with anything. So. Um, Gosh!
2: Did Daytona prototypes run with Porsche engines as well? I they ran thinking.
0: Porsches, and then they ran Chevrolets, and then they ran, yeah. B- and then Brian Johnson's car, the Highway to Hell car, that was a that's a Daytona prototype with a BMW engine. That's right. It? Yeah, that was Her- their t- car. Yeah. yeah, that was at the uh, Daytona 24 Hour Classic. Couple Not buses, Predator. Sorry, Heritage. Heritage. <laughs> <Okay>. Oh dear! <laughs> just committed a boo-boo there. Well, we could edit that out. <laughs> the, the marvel of editing, right? So uh, you, you mean want... this isn't live? Yes, of course it's live. <laughs> it's just who's got their headphones on. That's what, that's all about. You want to throw another song on there? Which what do you want to what do you want to play? What do you want to hear, John? We got a oh come. oh little buddy, of Holly. We're oh, right. wait,
2: Elvis! This is Elvis singing. I'm she's left, your right, you. she's gone. It took me ages to work out the solo. Oh,
0: well, the next time we'll have to come in with a
2: guitar. This is my favorite guitarist, Scotty Moore. Elvis's guitarist. Really? Oh, I think he was just one before.
0: So the name of the song is?
2: I'm left, you're right, she's gone.
0: Okay. Are you listening to uh, <laughs> Thomas Presley? Hey, you tuned the in to the getting and Car's. We'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. i
3: am not changing my mind. Oh, she broke the tie, and I know that she'd never care for me. Well, I thought I knew just what she'd do, like it's not that's so smart. Are oh, you trying to tell me all alone know? You know they break my heart. I'm left, you're right, She's has gone. You're right, and I'm left all alone. Well, she's gone. But now I just don't care. Fall for now, I'm falling for you.
0: Okay, we're back. Did you tune into nostalgia freedom cars cars. Uh, John, as you were
2: saying? Um, I think when you listen to records like that, you're only listening to Elvis plus uh, Scotty Moore on lead guitar and Bill Black on bass. That was it. And there's no double tracking or anything like that. What a sound
0: they made. It, it, it harmonized very well. Yeah, it does. Yeah. They all fit together very well indeed. So what's your style of guitar playing? I like Scotty Moore. You like Scotty Moore? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're kind of like uh, that. That's is it kind of bluegrass a little bit?
2: Um, I don't really know. It's a sort of finger picking thing, isn't it? Okay. I use a pluck and a couple of fingers. You were saying you use your fingers all the time.
0: Yeah, and I'm and i and I've tried picking finger picking. and yeah. There's an art to that, and it's. Uh, it takes. You know what? It's like anything else. It takes practice, yes. commitment, and practice. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 it's not like the guitar is very complicated, nor is the piano, for example, which I play that a little bit too. It's just, but nor is driving. <laughs> you know, but you know what it is? Is there's some guys that just have natural talent. So when you when you come up against a Jimmy Page or mm. uh, or a Eric Clapton or a Jeff Beck or someone like that, or a Jackie Stewart, or Jackie Stewart, or yeah, or. Who else? Yeah. Name some other famous race car drivers. You know, yeah. um, uh, Hunt, for example. Yeah, James you know,
2: Hunt. Um, I can't help feeling that he got a lot further by his determination than
0: his driving style. But he was good. Yes, he was good. Do you think? Uh, speaking of cars, Michael Schumacher's car just sold for seven million dollars. I saw that. F1. I saw that. Yeah, that's a that's incredible. So, what does that tell you about vintage race cars now? That that kind of just does that throw a wrench in what we're doing? There's, there's, a problem. there's a problem with the
2: costs and the prices of vintage race cars, I think. They have become so expensive that only the truly moneyed people can take part in the sport.
0: I made a comment the other day, and I think you were standing there when we were talking about this Sunday a little bit, is that you know, in the old days when I first started going to the vintage races, and we only have a few minutes left, but there was a lot of small bore cars racing, yep. Yep. which was for affordable cars for guys like you and I. Now when you go to the racetrack, it's all high-powered stuff. And it's getting to be newer stuff, and it's faster, and it's very expensive. And the cost is very expensive.
2: Uh, I, I couldn't agree more with you. You walk around and you think, how much does this cost to run? I mean, some of these guys must be spending tens of thousands in a weekend, and it's just a vintage race. There's no money to be made, folks. For a plastic trophy.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. John, I think we're out of time here. We're up against the clock. I want to thank you very much for tuning in and hanging out with us here. In. you're hanging out with us you're not tuning in hanging out <laughs> with us here at Nostalgia Creating Cars and uh, don't forget to tell all your friends to tune into to Nostalgia Creating Cars every Tuesday night right here on the Tantalk Radio Network don't forget to check out our website GulfstreamMotorsports.com, and don't forget to check out our podcast where you can hear all our last our past shows so John I want to thank you very much uh, congratulations this is a, a book here so I want to thank my special guest John uh, Starkey for hanging out with us here if you want to find out more about your books if they want to buy your books how do they go about doing that real quick Oh, they can email me, John at JohnstarkyCars.com. John at JohnstarkyCars.com. All yeah. right, guys, don't forget, we'll see you at some of the car shows this weekend. What do we got go this weekend? Turkey Ride, we're in a Daytona. In the meantime, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.